0: Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Well, I hope you had a good fourth. We had a wonderful time here yesterday. The men's council put on a... July 4th, Independence Day Barbecue for the Widows Connection. We had over 30 widows here and we just celebrated our country's birthday together. It was a wonderful time of just loving each other and caring for these lovely ladies that God has given us uh, to care for. And I want to say last week I had the opportunity to visit another church. We were visiting friends up in Washington and went to another church. It's a large, dynamic church. Things are going well there, but I got to admit, uh, I love coming home. I love this church. I love the people here. I love all of you. And yeah, You know, we're not perfect by any means, but God is at work here, and I love to be part of what God is doing at Cole Community Church. Many of you, I think, are like me. When I came to Christ, I thought, oh, it's the church. You know, it's Jesus says, love God, love one another, and therefore this is going to be a place where finally, not like the world out there, we'll really, really love each other well and get along. (laughs) But I quickly found that conflicts happen, struggles, and pain in relationships. And I was surprised, and I think many of us are. We, We think, the church, we should get along great, right? Because the Lord's here. He's part of us. And yet we experience conflict, and so we get surprised. We think that shouldn't happen. We we have enough to deal with with the struggles we face with dealing with the world out there and dealing with sin in our own hearts, the battle with the flesh and the attacks of Satan. At least relationships here should work out well. One of the most painful situations, I think, is when we get married we commit ourselves to someone and we think this one this person's a believer therefore this should be great you know right we're both believers we should get along well it should work out wonderfully and then we end up experiencing great pain and struggle and difficulty even in marriages where there's two believers most of my counseling and i do a fair amount of counseling is dealing with pain in relationships Well, we're studying the Psalms of Ascent this summer, our journey upward towards God, into his presence. And so this path represents that, and it's rocky, it's difficult, it goes out of sight, it winds upward, it's steep, it's hard, it's a difficult path. And we think circumstances are difficult enough, we shouldn't have to deal with attacks from people too, but we do. And this psalm written by David, who experienced a lot of pain in his relationships, expresses that fact of the pain and helps us know how to turn to God, not away from him, but to him, when we get attacked on the journey. Let's pray. Lord, this journey you've called us to in seeking you and going deeper with you is difficult, it's rocky, it's hard, and it's made especially difficult as we struggle in the relationships we have in our lives. But thank you for David in the psalm, how he's been so honest. May, may the power of your Spirit speak to our hearts. May we understand what Jesus went through and the struggles he went through and rejection he faced. And may we trust More Because of our time together this morning, looking in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our outline is very simple. We'll look first at what people do, then at what God does, and then what we can do in response. So what does David say in the psalm about what people do? Well, in verse 2 he says, Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us. Literally, it's when Adam, man, it's single, singular, when man rose up against us. Very interesting, because David here is drawing from the first few chapters of Genesis. As he's thinking about his life and the struggles he was facing in relationships, he goes back to Genesis and he says, you know, God created Adam, and, and yet... In the fall, sinners entered in. God created the world so that we would have perfect relationships in the Garden of Eden with Him and with one another. It was a beautiful creation, but when sin entered in, all of that was turned topsy-turvy. Creation was turned on its head. And throughout this psalm, there's several hints of that, including the word Adam here, and then it says, when Adam rose up against us, the word for rose up, that occurs for the very first time in The scriptures back in Genesis chapter 4 where Cain kills his brother Abel, it says he rose up against his brother. You see, the fall of man is lived out over and over again. Every time we hurt one another, every time we're selfish and demanding, creation is turned upside down by the harm we do to one another. God created the world to be a place of shalom between One another, but sin permeates every relationship we have to some degree. We can't avoid it. And so we hurt one another. What's that hurt look like and feel like? Well, David, as he wrote this psalm, uses three metaphors to help us really identify with the hurts he's describing. And let me just say a couple words about Hebrew poetry. God, in his wisdom, gave us the Old Testament, and about a third of it is poetry. And the power of poetry is that it's written in metaphor, in figures of speech, that as you read it, it's not obvious maybe immediately what the meaning is. And so as you meditate on it and think about it, it penetrates your heart in a way that's really powerful, much more than just concepts and principles can do. As you meditate on it, it penetrates your mind and then to the very depth of your heart. And so I encourage you as you read the Psalms and Proverbs and many of the prophets, etc., a lot of the Old Testament, when you come to poetry, that you take time to meditate on it, pay attention, let, their, let them visually and emotionally impact you so the truth can go deep. So, what are the three metaphors he uses? Number one, the lion. Verse 3 and verse 6, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Now, it, this could be, in David's mind, a bear or a dragon, perhaps some other creature, a mythical creature, but... Uh, Most likely, what he dealt with as a shepherd most commonly would have been a lion, so I'm just choosing that as the metaphor I think he's thinking of. Doesn't really matter, but a lion. As he says, it's someone who comes at you with anger, with teeth bared, wanting to tear you, wanting to rip you apart, swallow you alive, he says. David is describing the kind of people in our lives that attack us, that come at us in this intimidating, powerful way, in anger. And the anger is intimidating, and it drives you back, and the person wants to hurt you. Now, David doesn't tell us specifically who he's thinking about from his own life. It could be several. I would think he could be thinking, and I don't know for sure, but he could be thinking of King Saul. Remember how David came, and he killed Goliath, and And then he came a little while later into King Saul's very court. And when Saul was going through times of mental anguish, David would play the harp and sing and calm him down. And yet Saul became jealous. And as they're eating around the table, Saul takes a spear and tries to kill David twice, two different times. And then David has to run for his life and Oh, from Saul's anger and his destructive tendencies and for some 14 years runs in the wilderness to avoid death at Saul's hand. This relationship that had seemed so good ended up being a dangerous relationship for David as he faced his anger, as he faced the lion of Saul in his life. I've faced lions in my life. I think of one, a fellow pastor I worked with who became angry at me, became jealous, became enraged, verbally abused me in front of others, managed to destroy my ministry at the church I was at at the time. And then when I was candidating in another church, he called there and destroyed my opportunity to go there. I face lions. How about for you? Who's been a lion in your life? angry. Intimidating, wanting to do you harm, emotionally at least, if not physically. An angry parent, perhaps, who was just given over to anger, had a temper, and maybe it didn't come out that often, but it created this environment of having to walk on eggshells in your home so that you lived in fear. Maybe a boss who had to control you, tried to control you through anger and intimidation, a coworker, a spouse. Many of us have lions in our lives. So, David's very honest about that. What it feels like, it feels like they're out to swallow you and out to tear you with their teeth, and it's hard. The next metaphor he turns to is that of a flash flood, verses 4 and 5. Then the waters would have engulfed us, the stream would have swept over our soul, and the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Think of a flash flood as you're hiking the path and you're going through the rocks and it's difficult and then you drop down out of sight, way down in the canyon. When you're at your lowest, that's when you're most vulnerable to a flash flood. Flash flood comes without warning, roaring down the canyon, knocks you down on the path and carries you away, tumbling down the canyon with it. Nothing you can do can stop it. A flash flood is more powerful than you. He describes it as boiling, the raging waters. The word is really boiling, churning waters trying to wipe you out. David is describing when others have power over you and use that power to knock you down and and there's nothing you can do. Well, again, who is David thinking of in his own life? He may be thinking of Saul again, who was king. That would fit. Uh, Another possibility is he may be thinking of his own family. Remember how his own father rejected him. As a boy, when Samuel the prophet came to Jesse, David's father, and said, Hey, one of your sons has been chosen by God to be king of Israel. Gather all your sons. And so Jesse gathers all his sons except David. And one by one, Saul, Samuel goes through them and says, not this one, not this one, not this one. God makes it clear. It's none of these. And Samuel says, well, don't you have any other sons? And Jesse says, well, there is the worthless one it 's a word for little, tiny, worthless. it 's used in the scripture, of meaningless, valueless one. There 's the little, tiny, worthless one out in the sheep, out with the sheep. Samuel says, "Go get him," and he is the one that God chose. David experienced rejection from his own family. He describes it back in Psalm 27, and listen to how he 's dealing with the flesh flood the pain of that in his own family, starting in verse 9 of Psalm 27, as he craw- calls out to God, Don't hide your face from me, O Lord. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my help. Don't abandon me or forsake me, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. You see, that's a flash flood. (laughs) As David deals for the rest of his life with this rejection from his own family, he battled it. It leaves you emotionally overwhelmed when you get hit with this kind of situation. There's nothing you can do to fix it. You feel the brokenness of it. How about for you and for me? Who has been a flash flood for you? Who has come at you and overwhelmed you or the emotions overwhelm and you feel powerless. You feel like it knocks you over and tumbles you as you try to find your footing and you gasp for air. I've had my own father wound. I can identify with David in some ways. But who is it in your life, this flash flood? Again, could it be a parent, a spouse, a friend? Usually it's someone who has authority or power over you, a boss, and there's nothing you can do to fix the relationship. So David pictures for us to help us understand what he's describing these different metaphors. And now he turns to the third, the trapper, verse 7. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped, but he says we do experience harm at the hand of the trapper. The trapper describes someone who sneaks up and sets a trap for you. As you're worried about trying to just keep your balance and make the next stride and avoid the rocks, all of a sudden you feel your foot snagged and pulled tight. Someone who appears to be nice, but they catch you off guard when you least expect it. They betray you. And that betrayal is especially painful because you thought they were on your side. For David, who is he thinking of? Well, again, there are several options in David's life. I think he perhaps he's thinking of his son Absalom who killed his half-brother, David's son Amnon, and then later stood at the city gate in Jerusalem. And as people were walking in and out, he would say, How you doing? How you doing? Oh, tough, huh? Well, you know, if I were king, (laughs) you know, my dad's getting pretty old. He can't really handle it. But boy, if I were king, I would bring some great reforms. And he won the hearts of the people over to himself behind David's back, gathered an army, and went to attack David and kill his own father. David ran for his life. Eventually, God judged Absalom. He died in battle, and David returned. But... The pain of that of his own son betraying him had to be terrible for David. There's several others that could be. Joab, his own general, who turned on him and others. Those David loved, and yet they turned on him. Who has been a trapper for you? Who's been a trusted friend or family member who has set a snare and betrayed you? And let me say, from my experience There's nothing more harmful to a person's soul than the betrayal of sexual abuse. Those who act like they love you and then use you for their own sexual satisfaction. Or others who act like they want you to succeed at work, perhaps, but they're talking to the boss behind your back, undermining your job. Or family members who do that, etc. Trappers are really hard to deal with. Lions who are angry and intimidating, flash floods that knock you down and overwhelm you, trappers who betray you, three vivid metaphors to describe the pain we all experience in relationships. And here's the kicker we struggle with, right? God allows it to happen. Many of us feel like David describes there as he wrestles in Psalm 27, Don't abandon me, Lord! But we feel like we've been abandoned by God when we experience the sins of others against us. So, so we need to know, what does God do when others harm us? Is He there? The psalm says He's on our side, but what does that look like? What does it mean for God to be on our side if He allows the harm to happen? Well, I want to look at three things I believe God does for us. David helps us see the hand of God at work, even in those awful times. And he describes it in that interesting way. God is on our side. If Yahweh had not been on our side, in other words, God was on our side, he says. If he hadn't been, it would have been far worse. God was there. He was protecting. He was working. But what does it mean that he's on our side? Because he doesn't stop the harm. He didn't for Jesus. He doesn't for us. Jesus suffered terribly at the hands of men. We do too at times. So what does he actually do? Well, I I want to give you another word picture here. Imagine you're in fifth grade. I don't know about you, but fifth grade I dealt with a bully. I was a pretty scrawny little fifth grader and I had a bully who was out to get me. Now imagine crying for help. I need help. This bully's in my face. And this tiny little first grader comes running up and says, "Don't worry, I'm here." <laughs> You'd kind of go, "Well, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> you're not going to be a lot of help, buddy. I'm glad you're on my side, <laughs> but you can't help me." I think for many of us as believers, that's how we view God. You know, God, if you really cared, you would you would do more, but Maybe you do care, but you don't intervene. And therefore, you're like a little first grader who says, I'm, I'm there with you, but I'm not, I really can't do anything for you. Too many of us in the pain of life see God that way, I think. But notice what David does. He, he, he ups the ante far beyond that. Imagine if the uh, nose tackle, a senior on the football team shows up at that point and says, Hey, I'm on your side. I'll help you. You'd feel a lot better, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, you'd feel like you got somebody who can handle this fifth grade bully. But now let's up the ante a little bit even more. What if Clint Eastwood showed up? (laughs) Go ahead, make my day. (laughs) Captain America. (laughs) Here's how David puts it, verse 7, verse 8. Our help is in the name of Yahweh, the covenant-making God who defeated the most powerful nation on earth, Egypt, led his people out, redeemed the nation of Israel, the one who made heaven and earth, created it simply with a word as he spoke forth. That is who is on our side. (laughs) Fighting for us. So David, how does he fight for us? Three things. Number one. He limits the harm. He limits the harm. Notice again how David puts it. Had it not been Yahweh who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been Yahweh who was on our side, this would have happened, this would have happened, this would have happened, this would have happened. happened. But Yahweh was on our side. In other words, yes, people did us harm, but what was essential about us, God protected He limited the harm that could be done so that's what's core about your soul. No matter what people did to you or do to you, they cannot cross the line. God leashes the lion so he might scratch you, but he can't tear you apart. God gives you a rock to stand on so the flesh flood might scare you as it's going around you, but you've got a place to stand. You may get wet. You may get scared, but God's there. And it says he he allows you to get trapped, but he breaks the snare of the trapper. In other words, he limits the harm. He protects your soul. We have no idea, brothers and sisters, how much God protects us from every moment of every day. So he limits the harm. Secondly, he breaks their power over us. Verse 7. Our soul has escaped like a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. They may trap us, but he breaks that snare. He gives us a way of escape. He, he allows our soul, our hearts, to break free. Free from their control. Free from the old coping strategies we use to try to survive from the pain of life. He can set us free from those so we can love others well. He can set us free from the bitterness that can eat away at our souls, erode our ability to love others. He breaks the power that they have over us when we turn to him, so that we can love well. Like the man I knew who grew up in a, uh, I know who grew up in an abusive home, very difficult, fearful home, and he grew up just trying to protect himself in life, terrified of being vulnerable and experiencing more harm, and as he began to turn to God and experience the God who is with us, who is on our side, and he began to trust. He was able to begin to be free from the bitterness towards his family, free from fear, free from the terror of being vulnerable in relationships, and move towards others with courage. Even though it was hard and scary, yet God began to work, and And he's a free man. God breaks the snare. And third, what does God do? He is a refuge. He is with us. Verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That word for help is the same word that's used in the creation of woman back in Genesis chapter 2. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a help suitable for him. Uh, It's used almost exclusively every place else of God himself, who helps us in a military context, who guards us, delivers us, is a refuge to turn to. Though people are against us, yet God is with us and for us. He's our refuge in the battle. We can always go to him and know, though other people may be against us, God is for us. He loves us. He proved that love on the cross when he died for us. We can always trust that his love is there and it will be enough to see us through the difficulty. So the question then is, if God does all that, if he limits the harm, if he's there, if he's our refuge, if he cares for us, sets us free from the power of others, then, then how can we live in that? How? What do we do when others harm us? And let me just make one comment before I turn there, and that is that, I've heard many times, it's a struggle for us, I know, that sometimes people say, well, I, I can't trust God because he's called Father and my Father was was difficult for me. He caused me a lot of pain. So how can I trust in, in God who is a Father? And let me just say, you've got to look at it the other way. That is, don't impose on God what your earthly father was like. Rather, see God as the perfect, loving father that he is that you longed for in your earthly father. And trust in the true God. And don't let your view of your earthly father keep you from trusting the true God who is the perfect father you've always longed for. So what can we do? Three things I see in this psalm. Number one, be honest. Be honest about the struggle like David is here. Be honest about how difficult it is when you face lions, when you face flash floods, when you face the trapper who's out to do you harm. David doesn't hide the pain he's experienced. It doesn't do any good to live in denial and pretend that because I'm a Christian, everything's great. That's not true. It's hard often. So that's the beginning point. Be honest as David is here. Secondly, And David exhorts us to this, speak truth about God's intervention for you, about his presence, the fact he's on your side. Notice what he says, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. (laughs) Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, we would have been wiped out, but God is there. So let's say that. Let's speak that to ourselves, to one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's continue to sing songs like we have all morning about the fact that Emmanuel, God is with us. He's here. We can trust him even when it's hard and painful and difficult because God is on our side. So David says, say it. Speak it to one another. Let Israel say. Let Colt Community Church say. Let Jackson say. Let Terry say, let Tom say, let Judy say, say it, speak it. That's how our faith grows, is to speak truth and remind ourselves God is on our side. The creator of heaven and earth is on our side. What do we have to fear? No matter what you're going through, but God, right? (laughs) But God is here, but God is on our side and we can trust him. So be honest, speak truth. And third, learn to be thankful. Learn to praise God, no matter your circumstance. That's what David does in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. And then he focuses on who God is, our help creator of the universe. You see, as we learn to give thanks for who he is, for what he has done, then we'll begin to be anchored in the midst of the lion's and the flash floods and the trappers who come at us. When we learn to give thanks for who he is and what he has done, we'll find that praise is powerful. Thanksgiving, living with a thankful heart, that's why so often we're exhorted in Scripture, more than any other command, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. As we learn to give thanks, it changes your heart and reminds you that the all-powerful, all-loving God has acted for your good and is acting for your good. He is your help. He is your strength. And he is on your side. The commentator Peter Craigie says this, An almighty Savior is the Savior still. That is the glad testimony of this psalm. Sung by those who know themselves to be survivors and credit their survival to God's grace. The greatest victory when others come at you is to be a survivor. (laughs) A survivor who clings to God and knows how to praise him. Even in the midst of the difficulty. We will experience the harm of others in this life, brothers and sisters. But with David, we can let it drive us to God. The God who's on our side. The God who can defeat any bully who comes at us. The God who promises to redeem the harm done so that we can keep moving up the path towards a greater intimacy with Him, a greater usefulness to God, a greater delight in Him as we journey towards abundant life in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful psalm. Thank you for David who shares his heart so openly about the struggles he faces from others, the attacks. From others and oh Lord how we can relate but may we be people of faith who see you as on our side even in the midst of the struggle and who know you to be far greater than anything we face here that you are our fortress our rock on which we stand our defender our deliverer we pray in Jesus name Amen.